really, this is the whole context of uh, chapter 1 in 1 Thessalonians, but we're going to focus on verses 9 and 10, which uh, say this. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, Paul's relationship with the Thessalonians. We thank you for his incredible love for the Thessalonians and the care for them as uh, the church planter uh, that resulted in this letter. Uh, we thank you for the Holy Spirit uh, who worked through Paul uh, to get these precise words, these precise things, uh, not just for the Thessalonians, but also for us. And so we ask that that very same Spirit, uh, the Spirit of Jesus, would come and illumine our minds and help us to see how not just they responded to the resurrection, but how that is an ordinary response, the expected response to the resurrection. And so be with us uh, as we spend a few moments looking at this. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, some of you might be familiar with the name Bill Walton. Anyone know? There's a couple people. All right. Bill Walton uh, played basketball at UCLA. He was part of that, uh, that long stretch when John Wooden was the coach. He was the anchor uh, the, the other anchor was, of course, Lou Alcindor, who became Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. But uh, Bill Walton, as sort of an anchor of that team, went on to have a fairly successful NBA career that kept being interrupted by a series of injuries. He, of course, was on the 1986 Celtics team, which is probably the best basketball team ever, I think. Um, <laughs> wasn't the team that was playing last night, I'll tell you that. Um, <laughs> he then moved on into broadcasting, and he was, he's an infectious kind of person. He's so excited about the things that he talks about, and uh, it's hard for you not to get excited about the things that he talks about. Well, then, his, not only had his basketball career been interrupted, but then his broadcasting career was interrupted. He spent two years laying on his back on the floor. The pain was so bad because his back had basically collapsed that he couldn't do anything. As he mentions uh, in his new autobiography, Back from the Dead, about how he literally could not move. And he had next to him a bottle of pain pills, a bottle of whiskey, and a handgun. And he wasn't sure which ones he would take at any given moment. It was that difficult. And so when he got his life back after he finally had surgery, um, he re-engaged life. And that's really the, the aspect I want to get. is when, we hear when Jesus brings us back to life because of his resurrection, what he wants us to do is re-engage with life. Not the old life we had like Bill Walton did. He just went back to what he loved. But a new life with new loves is what we are intended to come back to. So our big idea this morning is that the resurrection invites us to faith, hope, and love. 
And these really are the things that are reflected in the, the three phrases, three words that I use here, that Paul uses, uh, more importantly, to turn, to serve, and to wait. Okay. And so we are to turn to the risen God from dead idols. Paul, in this letter, is expressing here in the first chapter his incredible gratitude, not for them, not for the Thessalonians, but really for the work that God had done in the Thessalonians through the gospel. And that is very important for us to recognize, that the, the good work that God does in our lives is never to be separated from the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is always in keeping with and through the gospel of Jesus Christ that God does good work in us. But we see here that the objective truths of the gospel message are meant to also have a subjective or personal uh, experience with us. I mean, we're supposed to be changed. There's supposed to be an effect, a personal subjective effect upon us by the objective message of the gospel. And so if there is no subjective effect, that means you really have not been changed by the gospel and not really believing in the gospel. It's just something out there apart from you. And we see what happens is that Paul, if we go back to Acts anyway, we're not going to look back there right now, but some uh, very nasty individuals had come and chased Paul off. They had removed Paul from Philippi. Okay, and now when they heard that he was in, in Thessalonica, they came and they chased him off again because they hated the gospel. And so, because Paul still loved the Thessalon uh, Thessalonian Christians, he would send Timothy and Silas to check in on them periodically. And so this letter is a response to what he hears back from Timothy and Silas. So he has a report from them, but Paul also says he's hearing back from people that he's, in, he's meeting because Thessalonica was a port city. It had a, had a highway that came through going from uh, east to west, or west to east, depending on which way you're going. But it was a, one of the main highways for commerce uh, in the Roman Empire, as well as this great harbor. So it was a key commerce city. And so people were always going in and out. And Paul would meet these people. And when he meets these people and starts to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, what he inevitably seemed to hear was how awesome these people in Thessalonica were, what God had done in them. And so he's hearing these reports of, about the church in Thessalonica from all of these people that he meets. And one of the things that he hears is that their faith has been expressed in tangible ways, ways that cause these other people to sit up and take notice. And the first thing he says is, he, he hears how you turned to God from idols. Their response to Paul's proclamation of Jesus, crucified and resurrected, was one of faith. Faith what J.I. Packer calls self-abandoning trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ, that, that full dependence, that full reliance upon someone else instead of relying upon your own smarts, your own goodness, your own works. And so they had moved from depending upon themselves or depending upon the many idols false gods that they had worshipped before, and now were relying completely upon this Jesus that Paul preached to them. If you were to go to Thessalonica today, 
maybe not today, you know, like, because now there's this stuff called smog that happens, pollution. But back in that day, you could see farther because there was no such pollution. From Thessalonica, you could see and can see Mount Olympus. That was where all of the Greek gods were supposed to hang out. That was where they ruled from. And so this idea of the dead idols is very significant to the Thessalonians. They grew up hearing all about, you know, imagine a push ridge, okay, about all the gods on push ridge. And they worshiped the gods that supposedly lived on push ridge. And so when the message of Jesus comes, they turn away from relying upon those gods and begin to rely upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Angus McLee notes that our idols are things, those things which we most treasure or value and which hide or cloud our view of the living God. So we all have, we all struggle with idols. It's not a thing that those people way back when dealt with. Ours are just different. They look different than the idols of that day. They don't have names like Zeus or Mars. They have names like money, science, when it's taken as everything in a worldview. Science can solve everything, that kind of thing. I'm not talking about, you know, going to taking a science class, all right? We're filled with false cults, all kinds of uh, false religions that are, are surrounding us. And so we have religious gods, false gods, as well as non-religious false gods that surround us. And what is significant is that Jesus was very different from the gods they knew and the gods that we perhaps knew before we were Christians. And the significant thing that Paul brings up here is that he was raised from the dead. And so the resurrection is central to what Paul was preaching to the Thessalonians. If he was raised, then their faith makes perfect sense. If he was not raised, then their faith is a delusion. It's wishful thinking. They're still, as Paul would say to the Corinthians, in their sins and trespasses. Paul declares that God is the living and true God. And we'll hit living a, a little bit later, but that's sort of this idea, you know, brings up again that idea of the resurrection. Jesus lives. Okay, he didn't live in the past tense, and now he's dead. He lives because he's been raised from the dead, but he's the true or authentic God. Just this week I read about, I can't remember the athlete's name, one of the joys of Twitter is he outed a memorabilia company for having counterfeit autographs of him. He went online and he, he, I don't know why he would do this, but he went on their website and he saw what was supposed to be what they're selling as a genuine signature by him. And he goes, I don't sign anything like that. That's a fake. And so he exposed them. It was inauthentic, non-genuine, and that is the opposite of what Paul is talking about here. Jesus, the Father, the Spirit, they are the authentic 
genuine God and a world full of fake gods. So the resurrection of Jesus invites us to turn to the true and living God from idols. Secondly, we see that they serve the risen God out of a love for life. Faith in Jesus did not simply add to their lives, but their true faith reoriented their life through love. Okay? They didn't just turn to God, but we see, Paul says, they served the living and true God. Their gratitude at the greatness of salvation was expressed through this loving service. What he earlier in this chapter said, their labor of love, their duty had become delight in light of the grace they had received from God. Paul puts it in a different way in Ephesians 2. He talks at the very very beginning about how they were dead in sins, sins and trespasses, okay, because they followed the power of the prince of the air. Then they were made alive in Christ, and they have been uh, saved by grace through faith, not works, lest anyone should boast. But then, kind of culminating in verse 10 of, in, uh, in chapter 2, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so Paul's expectation for a a genuine Christian, an authentic Christian, is not just faith, but a faith that translates itself, expresses itself, as he tells the, the, the Galatians, in love, which looks like service. They were meant to live a life for God instead of self. Those years of serving these false gods, these dead gods, these inauthentic gods, including themselves, brought them nothing. It brought them actually death. And so we see that now they have received life from God. They didn't earn life. It's all of grace. And their response to that grace, that life, was to serve him. Now, what's important for us to remember as we look at this, these thoughts here from uh, Thessalonians is that this service came at a cost. They, they became subject to persecution or affliction as a result of their service. They served in the midst of tiring and difficult times. Okay? They, they had to endure this precisely because they were making Jesus known. Part of that labor of love was that E word that we often don't really like a whole lot. Evangelism. Because they now had life, they wanted to share that life with other people. But sometimes people who think they have life will oppose you because you threaten their way of life. And so they experienced persecution, but they, they had hope, as we're about to see. So let's not think that their service was just an easy sort of service. They served the living God, as well as the authentic or genuine God, 
And one of the nuances of that word for living has that idea of blessed. Not just that he's alive, but that God is full of joy and contentment in himself. And because he is the blessed God, out of that contentment, out of that that joy, and because he's also filled with love, he grants that blessedness to his people. And so uh, these Thessalonians were experiencing the blessedness of God through the promises of God, and it was overwhelming, overflowing in their hearts through the service out of love. And so the resurrection of Jesus invites us to serve the true and living God out of love. The third part of this, wait for Jesus to return to deliver us. That opposition I had mentioned, that opposition was real, that opposition was painful. It was the same opposition that ran Paul out of town. Okay. Now it was, now it was falling upon them. And so, not only did they have faith and they have love, but they also had hope. And that hope is expressed in this idea of to wait for his son from heaven. They were consciously living in the hope of the return of Jesus. And it's easy for us to be cynical because, you know, it's been over 2,000 years. To kind of think, well, yeah, it's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll happen eventually. And not to live in the hope of it. But really to get lost in earthly hopes, I think. They recognized the fact that Jesus had ascended. They recognized the fact that Jesus was now seated at the right hand of God the Father. That he is pouring out the Holy Spirit upon his people. That he's subduing his enemies, even though it might not feel that way at that particular moment. But they were waiting for him to return, as he had promised. They waited for him to return to make all that was wrong right once again. We all make decisions when we wait. When we're waiting for a person, we often, our decision is based on how reliable is this friend of mine. Now, we sometimes, like last night, we were, we were waiting on somebody, and all Brian had to do was text him. See, Brian was wondering if I was going to say anything, and, and that's the one thing. <laughs> but remember when you couldn't text, or maybe you have a friend like my dad who does not have texting. Okay, on his phone. I mean, he, it's, it's amazing he has a cell phone, but there's no texting involved. Okay? Your capacity to wait for that person is directly related to how reliable you think that person is. If they are completely unreliable, you're not going to wait very long. You'll give it about 10, maybe 15 minutes, and you'll be gone. But if you know this person is reliable, you must recognize something must have tied them up. It might be the traffic. There there might have been some emergency. But I'll give my friend more time. Jesus is completely reliable. He will come. And we can still wait. We were able to wait because he was raised from the dead. 
He is able to help us. He is alive now to do this thing that he has promised, and he has the power to bring it to pass. Their hope specifically was in Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Jesus who is the rescuer. Jesus who is the deliverer. He has come to already to remove the wrath of God from his people. And when it is fully displayed upon the unrepentant, he will rescue his people from that. Paul anticipates that thing that we often struggle with, that we don't like to talk about, the wrath of God which comes upon the godless and the wicked. That wrath of God, that judgment of God. We need to believe in the wrath of God or we will lose our minds. How can you look at what happened in Brussels and have any hope if you don't believe in the wrath of God? That he will hold wicked men accountable for the horrible things they do. We must believe in the wrath of God which is testified to in the scriptures and is good for us to believe in the wrath of God. Because it reminds us that he is a God of justice as well as grace. And he will make these things right in his time. But he reminds them essentially here, gently, or could have anyway, that the Thessalonian Christians had once been godless, they once had been wicked, but they had experienced grace. We too had once been godless. We too had once been wicked. We too have, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, experienced grace. The wrath is real. So is the grace. And so we're able to hope in our trials. In other words, when we experience afflictions, we are not to think that God is pouring out his wrath on us. We are not to think uh, that he is angry and seeking to destroy us. We are to think of it in a completely different frame, framework as one who is calling us to deeper fellowship with him, as one who is purifying us, as one who is for us, even in the midst of that affliction. Well, Bill Walton came back from the dead metaphorically. Jesus is back from the dead, literally. Jesus also brings us back from the dead, spiritually and ultimately physically upon his return. And so Paul recognized faith, love, and hope at work in the Thessalonians through their turning to God from idols, uh, their serving the living God, and their waiting for Jesus to return to deliver them. It works at us in the same way, the same ways. When we turn, when we serve, when we wait. And so, brothers and sisters, is the gospel at work in you? Have you turned? And if you've turned, are you serving? 
Are you waiting? It's similar to the gospel waltz. Just another way of looking at it. And is it, done, is it working in such a way that anyone would tell your pastor about it? One of the things that happened last night, I just thought of this. Sorry, Brian. It had nothing to do with you, actually. We came out of the uh, parking garage, and there was one of those guys in those little pedicabs. He said, oh, want to ride? And uh, no, no, we're okay. And he noticed I had my uh, 2008 Celtics NBA championship shirt on. You know, can't miss it with all the green. And he goes, you know, last night I met one of the assistant coaches for the Celtics. He was a really good guy. So you know, we talked with this, with this uh, cab driver for a little bit. But what was interesting is that he commended the coach for the opposing team. And what should be happening, I guess, is that if I meet people from other places in Tucson... If they've run into you and know you, it's great to hear them commend you because the gospel's at work. No one can hear me. Sorry about that. <laughs> I move. It's great when I run into people from other churches or other parts of town who know people here and what I hear is commendation. Words about how they see the gospel at work. That's what should be happening. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you for this time to kind of think through a little bit of our response to the resurrection. Um, because such a great thing, such an amazing thing, does call forth a response on our part. And Father, we all struggle with the reality that our response is not perfect. That there are parts of this that we're really going to have a hard time with. So help us to bring those to you. To seek strengthening by your Spirit. So that our faith, hope, and love can be on greater display for a world around us that needs to see it, as well as our own hearts that need to experience it. And we pray this for the, the praise of your glorious grace. In Jesus' name, amen.